Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity. My name is Matthew Lee Anderson. I'm your host for the show. Uh, I'm joined by Alistair and Derek. Guys, it's great to be back with you. I was thinking recently about Laurel and Hardy for some reason. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think it was Laurel who always would always say to Hardy, I get their names wrong. Maybe it was Hardy who said Laurel. Well, here's another fine mess you've gotten me into. Um, I kind of thought we should adopt that as a tagline for mere fidelity. What do you guys think? Matt, I mean, if it's like, I don't know, man. You, yeah, you get us into another fine mess. <laughs> I, I get it. I, are you kidding? I get us into far fewer messes than Alistair. I take ex- <laughs> exception to that. I, Alistair's um, been for, quiet on the for those of you Alistair's who, been quiet on the rock lately. Uh, I mean, which I'm grateful for, but that's true. It's Thank you, Alistair. It's it's, it's, just... it's your gift to us. <laughs> um, well, guys, it's it's good to be back together. We thought, for those of you who are listening at home, that we would talk some about Easter. This is, without a doubt, the strangest Easter that I think we've ever had in our lifetimes collectively. Um, and could be the strangest Easter that we will ever have. Uh, most of us are going to celebrate Easter from the comfort of our own homes, which sounds like a dream every other year, but this year seems really <laughs> tragic, right? <laughs> every other year, it's, it might feel like, oh, really? Do I have to get up and put on a tie and a jacket, which I don't usually do for church? Like, is that the sort of thing that's going to happen? Um, but this I'm year... i glad you put on pants. Yeah, right. Nice. This year, the thought of putting on a tie and a jacket actually sounds kind of comforting. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's something about that that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, If only because it it will reclaim a little bit of normalcy for the day. Um, So we thought we'd talk some about how we are thinking about Easter in this time of coronavirus. Um, Alistair, I'm going to let you start off. So here's here's my opening question for you. When does Easter begin and how long does it go? Because this is... <laughs> because <laughs> this, this, is this, show, this show is going up after <laughs> Easter Day. Yeah, we had... We had this discussion already a bit at the start of this particular show because it's going up after Easter day, um, but it's going up during Easter tide. And so the season of Easter does not end with the end of Easter day. It continues on. And so we're wanting to think about Easter as something that does not have to be contained to a single day. The joy of Easter season can continue for that entire length of time as we move up towards Ascension and Pentecost. So I think, particularly for this year, where there is so much that people are stressing about and feeling fear and um, worry about, it would be a good time to recognize that we have a long season of Easter that we can celebrate. So one of the things I've been trying to do is think of ways in which, as a regular practice throughout the season, I could do something that brings joy to other people and to myself as a form of celebration. Um, I think there are a number of ways we can do that if we're creative. But I would like to hear other people's suggestions of what are some of the ways that you found to celebrate at this time when a lot of the things that we typically do to celebrate are closed off to us. Derek, how do you feel about the 
Easter extending for a season. I kind of feel like that was just a troll of all Presbyterians and non-Anglicans or non-liturgical folks. Um, is, does that sit well with you? I, I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm not one of those guys. Uh, yeah, I I I'm fine with Advent. I'm fine with. I'm fine with celebrating Christmas and Easter. I'm not a hard, uh, hard <laughs> TR uh, on some of this stuff. Um, so I, I don't, I don't mind, uh, and and I generally find the church calendar to be a helpful overall training uh, ground, just setting people's imaginations. As long as we don't get too, um, I don't know. Yeah. Persnickety about it. Like, you, like you know, it's it. just like <laughs> as if we've violated one of the Ten Commandments by forgetting, you know, again, what kind of liturgical socks to wear during a particular season. Yeah. Um, but uh but when it comes to Easter, yeah, I mean the the season between between Easter Sunday and Pentecost, um, just reflecting on Easter joy, reflecting on the resurrection, letting that set a tone. I think it might be more useful now than than ever. Although the irony is, with with everybody in lockdown, if the lockdown's continuing past that time, you've got this weird um, sense in which the heightened irony, the the absence and presence, the the joy and longing are intensified precisely because. You know, Easter is being celebrated under the shadow and threat of uh, continuing death. Now, it always is. You know, Easter Sunday, you walk out the door after singing, you know, uh, hallelujah or whatever, and, and you could just get hit by a car. And all of a sudden, everybody's waiting for your resurrection uh, immediately. Like the de- death, death, as as the preacher in Pollyanna um, uh, preaches, are death th- comes unexpectedly. Are they... Are they waiting for your resurrection immediately? Like you're going to be immediately <laughs> raised from the dead? Well, I mean, for persons of heightened holiness, possibly. No, I, I mean, like that, that, that's, but that's how quick. Or anyone who listens from Bethel Church. Oh, oh, too Ooh. soon. The idea that we experience our lives, we experience our lives against the backdrop of the church calendar. It's an interesting thing to reflect upon because people have often remarked over the last few weeks that there's something fitting about the fact that this is happening over Lent. It feels like a long and bitter Lent and many of the things that we would associate with Lent in the church calendar seem to be very um, adjacent to the experience of coronavirus. It's a sort of fast that's imposed upon us. We don't really have a choice about it and it's a far more intense fast than we might otherwise experience. But then there's this um, jarring feeling of, as you say, entering into the Easter period where we would usually be celebrating by feasting and finding that this fast is still extended. And so I wonder how we should more generally experience that interplay between our lives and the church calendar. I found it a very fruitful thing to explore the the interplay between those things more generally as a sort of musical reality. There are certain times in our lives where we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, for instance, and we'll have a sense of the keenness of the connection between the fact that Christ was instituting this in the presence of his enemies at just before he was about to die, as his near friend was about to betray him and his lead disciple about to deny him. And at other times, we'll feel the keenness of the fact that this is memorialising his victory in his death 
or we'll feel the awaiting of the future coming of Christ. So I think that musical character of the church calendar helps us to explore some of these juxtapositions. And when we experience the keenness of death and crisis, illness and um, deprivation and the fears and all the anxieties that come with coronavirus against the backdrop of the joy of Easter. There's some facet of Easter, perhaps, that we may recognise that we have not really experienced to that extent before. So I wonder for you what that dimension might be. For me, it's really heightening that that sense of this is a joy that does not depend upon happy circumstances. It's a joy that can erupt even in the darkest times of life. And the experience of the first resurrection was a time when the disciples were under threat. Um, there was still this danger of their lives um, with the ruling authorities. And so there's no reason why they should feel that the resurrection of Christ removed any threat to their lives and their well-being. Something about their immediate situation was retained from before the death of Christ. So it wasn't a complete change. It was still this very um, angry and heated context of Jerusalem that they were celebrating these events in. And maybe we need to enter back into something of the fear of that time where they were hiding from the authorities in these private places with the doors shut. And it was in that context that the joy of resurrection first broke into their um, so lives. we should have hidden gatherings of over 10 people. Uh, so is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Derek. <laughs> no, but yeah, and, and, you know, different, different angles, different elements on that. I mean, the joy of Easter uh, and the, I think of just resurrection and obviously, <laughs> obviously you're thinking of resurrection, but, um, <laughs> but you know, the anticipation of, um, bodily fullness for some folks. You're, you're right now. You're feeling your body in a lot of weird ways as you're closed in. You're you're almost um, it's almost suffocating for many of us who are um, uh, locked in at home. Even if you go on walks, you're not able to do the things you're usually able to do. You're pressed in. You're close um, and the element of, of necessarily being um, completely comfortable in your body or you know, you're feeling the aches and pains, you're feeling all those sorts of things. And for a lot of people, I imagine this season, that's going, that's going to be very heightened. And so again, the, the joy and the anticipation of like this, the, the, the joy that comes with not having something present, but having something in hope um, is something that can be heightened precisely because of that contrast, because of that, um, that glaring disjunct, uh, during the season, I imagine for, for, for some folks. Hmm. I'm intrigued by the ways in which we're theologizing life, uh, animated by the resurrection beneath the, uh, coronavirus and how that contrasts in certain ways with ways we theologized about um, life under sin beneath the coronavirus. Um, the, within within the, the conception of the way in which Christ's triumph has sheds light on our current situation, 
Um, Alistair, you talked some about defeating or triumphing over enemies. Uh, and Derek, you've highlighted um, the, the sense of healing and wholeness that the resurrection brings, right? The, the restoration of our bodily capacities. I am intrigued by what's not in that, which would be something like the satisfaction of the wrath of God in the by by the propitiation, you know, of the Son of God for our sins. Um, that's clearly a central component to the Easter witness. Um, does that have any bearing on? how we understand life beneath the plague at all? Probably yes. And in, <laughs> and in many ways, I would suppose. Um, but so this is, it's a really dangerous question, right? And, and when we had first talked about um, how we were responding to coronavirus, Alistair, you had said you didn't think that categories of judgment were appropriate. Um, that I don't think they're the most helpful. You don't think they're the most um, helpful, right. Yeah. Um, but it seems like in certain ways, we might not be able to escape them, right? That, that if we are sort of reading this experience theologically and seeing within it uh, glimpses of the ways in which the resurrection has empowered us to live differently in this time, then we might not be able to escape the sense that um, the resurrection means in, in one sense, the judgment has been lifted um, or that it's been completed and enacted and that the kinds of fears that had animated us before of the coronavirus don't apply as much. So I, I actually think there's a real question here about whether in certain locations, not in every location, but in certain locations, um, it is reasonable and right for Christians to gather together in safe and prudential ways on Easter Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of the dead. To me, that's, it's, it's not an obvious no to that um, in certain locations. Um, I think probably rural locations, for instance, places where there aren't known outbreaks and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I th I think there there might be room for that sort of thing. What do you guys make of that? I think that we're supposed to celebrate the a life that breaks through death, a life that delivers us from the fear of death. And I think the deciding matter in those particular cases that you mentioned will be the prudential considerations. Is this something that is... Um, going against our duty to submit to those who rule over us? Is it something that is um, a matter of, um, is it actually being done prudently with concern for our neighbor's life because God wants mercy, not sacrifice? And so this focus upon we must worship, even when that worship might put others at risk, that's clearly wrong. So I think it will be decided by those matters of prudence. But we definitely, in some form or other, in whatever diminished sense it might be, we must celebrate a life that delivers us from the fear of death at this time. Because if there were ever a time to be re reminded of and to um, strengthen ourselves in the knowledge of a life that's greater than death, a life that frees us from something that has held us captive, which is that fear of death, it's at a time when 
we feel as if we are in the shadow of it. And there are so much in our society that's reminding us day by day and the fears that are afflicting people that alert us to just how strong a hold it has upon people's minds and their consciousness of their life more generally. And so I, I would suggest that we need to find some way to assert the victory of Christ and the life that he brings in the situations that we find. And we must be creative about that because I think we do find ourselves limited in a great many ways. Um, now, the creativity that we can bring to that, I think, can be considerable. One of the things that I've been trying to do is to think of ways to celebrate Easter as a time of giving to other people. Um, that whole season this year, particularly since we feel the limitation of what we can do on the gathering together on the, the day of resurrection itself, I want to kind of spread the joy throughout the whole season because I feel the lack of what I can do on Easter day itself. And so I'm thinking of what are gifts that I can produce for people on a regular basis throughout that time? What are some special occasions that I can celebrate with people? How can every single day have something of that assertion of resurrection, joy and life? And there, I think, um, I found it helpful to reflect upon the gospel narratives again, because the gospel narratives present resurrection in a number of different aspects, not just that aspect of deliverance from the sentence that's been placed upon us, but breaking open the prison. Christ in Matthew is in a tomb that has guards posted at the gate and it's sealed. It's a prison break that Christ engages in. Now, we feel constrained at this time, and there's something about, I don't think, literally breaking out of our houses and meeting together in that sense. But it's recognising that there's something about the constrained feeling that we feel trapped in our houses. As Christ was trapped in the tomb, as the disciples were trapped in that room and hiding from others because of their fear. So we feel something of that. And celebrating the resurrection in that context, I think, is something that maybe gives us a bit more of an appreciation of the power of life to overcome a particularly intense feeling of death. I don't know, Elster, the, the only thing I heard out of all of that, I quit listening after you talked about giving gifts. Really look forward to wearing my <laughs> Alistair Roberts knitted <laughs> scarf through the next year. Derek, I'm sure your, uh, your beanie is going to be great. It's going to Thanks for that, Alistair. We're really excited that you are so generously giving to us in this season. Um, so be careful. I might just make you one. <laughs> I'll choose the color. Other people should be careful because I might just wear it. Um, I want to go back for a second to what Matt brought up earlier, the, um, the proof of the propitiation of God's wrath and like the ending of judgment against us. So in thinking about the resurrection and, you know, over the years, one of the things that, you know, the big emphasis recently has been 10, 15 years with the resurrection is just, Hey, let's re let's re uh, let's recapture it as its own distinct moment uh, for evangelicals. Let's not just put it there as proof. The cross worked. It, it, it does its own work in a sense. And, and let's, let's recapture that. That's wonderful. And that's great. And, and I've, benefited greatly from that. And I've really leaned into that. But um, there is something actually really awesome about 
proof the cross worked, he, the vindication of 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 God's of God's Son um, having completed His work, and I think uh, that actually is a wonderful thing to reflect on during this season. Is I think a lot of people are not only feeling you know so discomfort with their bodies; they're feeling their sins. Um, when you are in time of dislocation, when you are in time of discomfort, when you're in time of fear, the catalog of your sins comes before you. Uh, and and maybe uh, because you are robbed of some of the distractions that you usually have, so sometimes you have like, I don't know, sanctification by workload, um, you, you, you feel the way your heart goes towards sin, goes towards temptation, especially a lot of people are stuck at home. There's temptations that are uh, readier at hand in some ways, especially online, and and you just don't have other things to occupy it. Just healthier, healthier um, ways of, of dealing with stress and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And so the 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 just the pull of sin right now, the pull of temptation, the 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 weariness of it, the guilt of it, and then and then when you give in, that gnawing uh, that gnawing sense of well now I do deserve this. If I go out and get it, like I. Uh, you know this this judgment is merited, or if I if something happens to me, it will be merited, and um, and so the good news that forgiveness has been accomplished. I think of uh, so I was reading earlier in Colossians two, looking at um, Chrysostom uh, on this, and he talks about the remitting and 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 the way Christ does away with the bond. And in the section, he says that, you know, the bond, he talks about the bond of, of sin and the bond of our guilt and the bond then the devil held in possession and Christ did not give it to us, but himself tore it into the action of one who remits joyfully. Uh, and there's this joyful um, forgiveness. You want to talk about joy, the, the joy that, that we think about. That God doesn't remit our sins uh, begrudgingly. He doesn't remit him. Uh, he doesn't forgive them uh, as as one who's like, okay, well, I got to get this done. He does it joyfully, tearing it up, and 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 so and the resurrection is is proof positive that we are not still dead in our sins, uh, as Paul puts it in First Corinthians fifteen. And so um, that I think is a great joy and not only not only that he remits our sins but you know resurrection on the other side of it really the really wonderful thing is the freedom from sin you know at, at, at death and and in resurrection we are not just free from bodily pains we're free from uh, just you know Derek the sinner uh, like that that man is dead completely. And the ghost of him is dead. All of it's dead. It's gone. It's buried. And so um, that is that is good news to reflect on uh, as well in this season. And and I don't you know I don't know how you know cultivating that, what practice to cultivate that, or I don't know what schemes to uh, remind others of that. But um, that is something to reflect on during this season. Is you will be free of that. On that point, I've been thinking this time is very much a time of trial. And that's a category that Christ use, uses a lot in the run-up to his death. He talks to his disciples to beware lest you enter into temptation or the time of trial. And he protects them from the full force of that time of testing and trial by 
entering into the full force of it himself. And as we're experiencing some limited experience of what it means to enter a time of trial where we experience both the temptations of the flesh, we experience the temptation to fear or despair or doubt or um, hatred or anger, whatever it is, we're experiencing just a very limited sense of a time of trial. But Christ delivered us from the full force of that testing by taking that for us. And that's something I've been feeling considerably at this time, that Christ has assumed the time of testing for us. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're praying for deliverance from times when we might be pushed to our limit. But Christ went to the utter limit of the far country in order that we might be relieved from that, facing that ourselves, a weight that would surely crush us. That's all very helpful. I, I, I'm wondering about the practices, the very thing that, Derek, you had said uh, you weren't sure how this should play out in. Um, the kind of practices that we can undertake to cultivate those sentiments, those feelings of joy and gratitude. One of the, one of the interesting moral, one of the interesting features of moral development is that affections, emotions, passions are meant to be impetuses to right action. They're meant to motivate us to do the right thing. And in this case, um, we're in a situation where the right thing to do is by and large blocked from us. We're prevented from going out and serving our neighbors uh, the way that we might otherwise be impelled to do. We are able to serve those who are in our family. So there, there are, is a sort of microcosm there, but the, the range of our care for our neighbor is constrained considerably. Um, I wonder about uh, the kinds of practices that we can undertake to cultivate joy during this time and how that might issue forth in actions both inside and outside of the home. So one thing that I'm really cognizant of is the growing need in the United States for um, food pantry donations to a lot of uh, a lot of food pantries are, are struggling and will be struggling over the next three or four months because our unemployment rate has skyrocketed. And it seems to me that um, for many people who undertook Lenten disciplines of giving up certain foods, uh, that one responsibility or one opportunity that even that we would have during this time is to not only return to the joys of eating those, those meats that we had given up on, those sweets or those drinks that we had said no to, but participating in sharing those things with our neighbors in a very tangible way and, and um, ensuring that during this season, especially during the Easter season, especially the food pantries in our local communities are well, well stocked. Um, and that's, that to me is it's, it's, it's the kind of way in which uh, the cultivation of affection can issue forth into action. And that has its own compounding effect. When we act in good ways, uh, that increases our confidence and increases our joy. Um, and, and so I think we do need to figure out outlets for 
those affections such that they don't just get all bottled up and, and we end up feeling joy without being able to do something out of it. You've discussed giving blood, which seems a fairly appropriate thing for Holy Week and Easter. Yeah, I'm, I actually am still bruised from giving blood. I had a remarkable <laughs> giving blood experience. I, uh, 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 yeah, it was two, really two weeks right ago Really selling it right now, Matt. What's that? Really, really selling it. I know. <laughs> I'm, bas- I'm basically bearing in my body the marks of, of our Savior. I'm pretty sure there's a Bible verse that justifies that. Uh, I apologize for to you guys and to everyone listening Please at home do. for making light of that. Oh man. Um, yeah, I don't. You know that that's excellent. That giving uh, giving food, giving blood. I will. I'll just mention another giving that comes to mind. I know I've seen several notes on this. Um, just continuing to give to your churches. Um, I know a lot of people think of tithing when they go to church, which is the normal time. Uh, but most people are not gathering right now, and um, uh, so just going online and continuing to to uh, support the work of the ministry there, often which goes not just to the normal functions, but uh, benevolence funds, uh, uh, giving within the congregation. I know several congregations have uh, set up extra ways to um, give out of their emergency funds to caring for families that are uh, in need. Or, um, but it also just would be good to connect to try and if you, if your church has a diaconate, uh, you know, a deacon board or something like that. You know, reaching out to them, asking how or who specifically within the household of God in your own church, you can actually bless their needs. Uh, and so those just within the church itself, um, spreading that joy and, and generosity. And so that's that's one thing that... One thing I've been doing over the last few weeks has been recording books for kids. Um who are stuck at home and maybe annoying their parents, I thought it would be a way of giving my presence to them, take the time to do something, say that I'm thinking about them, but also um, just giving something on a regular basis over a period of a few weeks that will um, help them to feel that other people are thinking of them in their situation because it's not easy to be a kid cooped up at home and without the same ability to stretch your legs and burn off your energy. Yeah. Well, I think this has been really helpful. I certainly enjoy talking uh, with you guys about this and hearing your thoughts on how to cultivate joy within this, si- within this time. Um, any last thoughts or ideas that our listeners should be thinking about? Perhaps one of the things that I've most enjoyed doing over the last few weeks in the run-up to Easter has been thinking about the story of the resurrection again in the Gospels and reflecting upon the different ways that it's told. And one of the ones that has particularly stood out to me is John's account and reading John's account against the backdrop of the Song of Solomon. And I'd never really seen it before, the way that Christ's tomb, the chamber in the garden, is presented as the, um, the bridegroom's chamber. And the bride comes looking for him in the form of um, Mary Magdalene, wondering where her beloved has gone. And as she looks for him, she finds him. And that tomb is opened up. And out of that tomb flows the spice of the spirit. 
and the living waters of the Spirit, these continual themes within John's Gospel. And that reading of reading the story against that background gave me a new appreciation for some facet of what's taking place in the resurrection. This is the bridegroom come for his bride. This is the event where the bridal chamber is opened up and the world will never be the same again as a result of that. And I hope that in this time, we won't just be thinking about the sort of topical questions of our immediate situation, but we'll be going back to the scripture again and seeing some of the riches that are within there. Oh, sorry, I think that is, as always, very insightful and helpful. One of the things that I have been thinking about um, in the, because we're recording this on Monday, Thursday, so we're in the run up to Easter, um, is the way in which the Easter story breaks into the life of Christ, uh, even in his last days, and the healing of the, uh, the servant of the high priest in the garden after Peter uh, wounds his ear is to me just a, a remarkably tender moment. It's such a fascinating moment where he chastises Peter in one way. There's there's an underlying or a tacit rebuke there that uh, the work that's about to be done is not one that's going to be done with the sort of ordinary uh, uh, weapons of this world. But it is a warfare, and it's a warfare that that heals and that makes whole, as Derek had said. And I think within uh, this season in which many people are wondering about their own health and certainly wondering about the health of our neighbors, um, rediscovering the joy uh, and the sense of the possibility of a wholeness of life um, that's not that's not bound to um, health within this world, but which includes it and in, in which health in this world is, is sort of one instance of it. Um, I think I think feeling that joy in this season is something that we're all going to do and that I think is going to be really valuable for us. So um, for those of you who have listened at home, we hope that this has been an enjoyable conversation. We hope that your Easter season is uh, really full of Easter joy, that the Lord blesses you during this time and your families and your loved ones and that you are able to... Uh, practice disciplines that will cultivate joy within your homes and within your hearts and that will enable and equip you to serve your neighbors better um, in whatever ways the Lord calls you to do so. So happy Easter. Uh, We'll be back at some point in the future with other episodes. We'll have some guests coming on later this spring. We might get Andrew back at some point. Uh, We're so grateful for your time and attention and for all of your support. Until next time, this has been Mere Fidelity.